Isaiah, I don't know why I said Acts, um, Isaiah chapter 6. We're starting a new series today called The Power of Worship. And, um, you know, uh, I, I remember when I was a little boy, uh, we used to drive through the mountains and I'd go see family over in North Carolina. And I remember how small I felt as I looked at the mountains around me and just saw the beauty and the grandeur of, of everything I was seeing. Uh, it was so amazing. Uh, some of you may have gone to the Grand Canyon at some point, or uh, perhaps you've seen the ocean and you've felt small. If these things that God created make us feel small, how much more the great God who created them. And uh, as we see God in, in all of His greatness and all of His glory, um, through the pages of Scripture and through the testimony of the prophets, uh, our hearts are amazed by who He is. You know, I, I'm, just, I'm amazed by God's power and I'm amazed by God's greatness, but I'm also amazed by His love. Because though He is great, the greatest of the great... Uh, love those who are helpless. And we were helpless in our sin, but God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. What a God who has done so much for me. We need to know about God's greatness because uh, our uplook determines our outlook, right? I've had a lot of folks talk to me and been, uh, been worried and so forth about circumstances, and I've uh, shared some of those myself. Uh, but it's wonderful to come into the presence of God and to recognize that God is still God no matter what we may face. He's still on His throne. It, it restores our perspective to see Him as He truly is. But it also enables us to praise His great name. Because He's worthy of our praise. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise, Psalm 100 says. Uh, we're called to praise the name of the Lord. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. It's okay to get excited in church. Amen? It's okay to praise the Lord. It's okay to lift a hand in worship. It's okay to sing the songs of the Lord because we do so in worship. Now, I recognize that worship involves all of life. As we serve God and as we follow God and as we witness for Christ, we're worshiping Him. But I want to focus on the, the specific praise of the Lord in this series that we're going to have, and uh, specifically here today. In this scripture today, Isaiah is receiving his call from God to be a prophet. And it comes with a very unusual vision that he sees the Lord, and now he doesn't see all of the Lord, and he doesn't see the, the full uh, glory of the Lord face to face, because no man can do that and live. But he sees him high and lifted up, his train filling the temple. He sees him sitting on his throne. Now the smoke fills the house, and so the, this is a vision he's seeing. But he is just overwhelmed by what he sees. He is shook to the core by what he sees in the temple of God in this vision. And it becomes the basis for his ministry. Because Isaiah was not going to have an easy ministry. If you read the second part of this chapter, 
we find that Israel had become hard-hearted. They weren't listening. Uh, They had closed their ears to God's truth. But God gives Isaiah a glimpse of his greatness and of his power. And it is a motivation for Isaiah to serve and honor and bless God, but also uh, to go and to speak for God in the culture. And it's still a motivation for us today. Uh, So, the title of my message today is Awed by His Greatness. And we do need to praise our Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit for all He is and for all He has done. So, uh, look with me in verse 1. It says, uh, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. In the hem of His robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies, or the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook. At the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. And he replied, Go, say to these people, Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. Then I said, Unto when, Lord? And he replied, Until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants. Houses are without people. The land is ruined and desolate. And the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled. The holy seed is the stump. Awed by his greatness. Why should we be awed by his greatness? And how are we awed by his greatness? Well, we are awed as we discover that he is holy in power. He is holy in power. What's the word holy mean? It means set apart or distinct. He is on a whole other level in his power. Uh, The way the Israelites communicated greatness was they would repeat something. So if you were to say, well, that person is holy, well, that's a description. But if you were to say that person is holy, holy, it would be this person is holier. Holy, holy, holy. This person is the holiest person you could find. And that is what he says 
of Yahweh, the great I Am, Jehovah, God. He is holy in power. Now, what does that mean? Well, God is holy in every facet of His character, but here He says, holy, holy is the Lord of God of hosts. And so He's saying He is the captain of all the armies of heaven. Now, you get a little bit of an idea of how powerful God is when you see what Isaiah's experience is. Because what is, what is going on? Well, the seraphim are speaking. And the seraphim, when he speaks to Isaiah, the Bible says that the whole place shook. Isaiah is apparently standing at the threshold. He said the threshold was shaking when he spoke. Now, that's power. Now, I, I don't know. I might be able to crank up the uh, sound system enough to make the walls shake or something in, in this room, but I couldn't do it on my own. But this angel is speaking with such power that the whole building is shaking. And Isaiah is just overwhelmed when he sees it. Think about this for a second. This one angel is part of the host of heaven. That's some power. The Old Testament tells us that when Hezekiah prayed that God sent an angel who killed 180,000 Assyrians in one night. One angel. That's some power. But Yahweh, the great I Am, the Lord of hosts, is greater in His power. Before Him, all of these mighty angels kneel, and they quiver in fear. You know how I know they quiver in fear? Probably the angels of heaven don't quiver in fear because they're on his side. But the Bible says when the demons who had inhabited, a legion of demons had inhabited a man uh, in the time of the Gospels, where uh, Jesus approached him and these demons fell to the ground and brought this man to the ground in terror. They were shaking and trembling in fear before Jesus Christ. Why? Because they recognized he was Yahweh. Please don't send us to the abyss. Let us go to some pigs. You see, the demons are just angels who rebelled against God. One third of the angels rebelled with Satan against God. And left. But, but the power of God is shown in his sovereignty and power over the armies of heaven. You remember Jesus when he was getting ready to go to the cross? He's, he's, he's talking to, to the people around him. He says, look, don't you realize I'm able to speak right now and God will send a legion of angels and take care of this whole mess. But I've set my face to the cross. See, nobody forced Jesus to get on the cross. He went willingly. He saw you and he saw me and he said... I choose to lay my life down. And Jesus died for sin on that cross. And in mighty power conquered our sin and conquered death. Rose again and exalted to the right hand of the Father. This is the power of our God. Now I'm convinced that there's not too much I can ask God for that is going to make him sweat or get... uh, in a tizzy. Listen, 
God, God is not wringing his hands about the circumstances in the United States. He is not wringing his hands about what's going on in various parts of the world. He is the sovereign Lord of hosts. He's the one who speaks and the universe comes into existence. There's no one like him. You remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar, the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar, the powerful Babylonian king who uh, conquered the Babylonian empire and, um, and he was just kind of proud of himself one night and God had already warned him about his pride and said, if you, you, know, if you continue to speak in pride this way, I'm going to humble you. And so he, he said, look at all these things my hands have made in this great kingdom that I have built. And he's, he's just welling up with pride. And God takes away his sanity. And he goes around and he's clawing in the dirt and eating grass like an animal. And his fingernails grow long. I, kind of, that, I saw that in the Guinness Book of World Records one time about the fingernails, how long they got. Uh, this is what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. And uh, God, after the specific season of time, restored Nebuchadnezzar's sanity. It's interesting that in the Chronicles of Nebuchadnezzar, there is exactly that amount of time where there is complete silence. There's nothing written. Why? God took away his sanity, and he said, I am the one who's sovereign over the kingdoms of this world. He's sovereign. (laughs) He is king of kings and Lord of lords. Isaiah sees these things, and he is just overwhelmed. So uh, we're awed. Why? Because he's holy in power. We're awed because he is exalted in glory. Verse 3 says, his glory fills the whole earth. Now, the seraphim give the testimony, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of, uh, of hosts. Creation gives the testimony that the earth is filled with his glory. My sister uh, posted a picture of a beautiful sunset on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I remember thinking, boy, that is just beautiful. I imagine how pretty it must have been in person. Um, and I was just amazed. It got, every sunset is God's artwork. Uh, I, I've, been, uh, I've had to switch my running time to the mornings. <laughs> I hate that with a passion. But uh, because of it getting dark earlier. But I was out the other morning, and I was running and I looked up, and I saw the stars. It was a cold morning, and you could just see the stars so clearly. It was so pretty to look at. I thought, wow, how awesome you are, God. You made those stars. Some of those stars now we figured out are galaxies. <laughs> They're just so far away, they look like a star. I mean, what an amazing God we serve. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. When you see the beauty in the sky, when you see the, the birds flying in formation, and, and uh, all of the things that we see in creation, we're reminded of the glory of God. Listen, if these things are, are so beautiful, and, and the things that God has made bring Him glory, how much more glorious is He? Um, as geneticists study the DNA of human beings, they're amazed by the amount of information. I'm told, uh, I've read that um, in one string of human DNA, there's more information than in all the books, all the libraries, all the computers 
on the whole earth. That'll blow your mind if you start thinking about that. This is what I The Bible said in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is the living Word who holds all things together by His power. He's the one who spoke. And the information in our DNA came into sequence. This is the glory of God. The whole earth is filled with His glory. It is just amazing what God has done. Uh, I, I remember seeing a, one of the videos we showed here uh, years ago. That there was a duck-billed platypus, and, and they were talking about this. I believe it was a duck-billed platypus that has this sonar thing going on. They can't see very well, and so that when they swim underwater, they have this sonar that helps them find what they need to find to eat. Is that not amazing? People say that came into existence by chance. That's crazy. I, I, listen, I was a mechanic in the military, and not one time did I ever see a machine come together by itself. I had to do a whole lot of work to put them together sometimes. But never did I see one come together by itself. Listen, far more complex than an engine in a car is the human body. God spoke, and it came into existence by His power and by His glory. The whole earth is filled with His glory. That's a testimony of creation. And we're awed by His glory. We're awed because He's holy in power. We're awed because He's exalted in glory. We're awed because He's perfect in purity. You look at verse 5. What's Isaiah's response? It's, it's very interesting that the response Isaiah gives is not, Whoa, look at that seraphim, or that seraph. <laughs> Whoa, look at all that smoke. Wow, the train of God's robe. That's not what he says. When Isaiah enters the presence of God, he is confronted by a being who is perfect and holy, set apart, purity. And he says, woe is me. I'm undone. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. I see my sin. I see the sin of those around me. We're corrupt. We're unworthy to be in the presence of such holiness. He was just overwhelmed by his own sin. I'm glad the story doesn't stop there. <laughs> we've, all, we've all probably felt that at one time or another in our lives, being overwhelmed by our own sin. Uh, Isaiah especially so in the presence of a holy God. But God provides redemption. That's a wonderful thing. Um, so he's perfect in purity. To, to speak of God's holiness, and God's holiness, especially in the New Testament, is identified with His character. Okay? Now, you know some good people, probably. Okay? Hopefully, you, hopefully so. Uh, you know some people that, by our standards, are good people. Okay? Nobody's completely good in God's eyes. But by our standards, there's some good folks. And you've seen some good things they've done, right? Uh, 
I know some people who, you know, they'll do it. They'll just do about anything for somebody else. They're just that kind of person. Uh, they give you the coat off their back. I, I can remember uh, seeing. I had a family member who, more than once, I saw him uh, pull over, take off his coat, and give it to somebody walking on the side of the road. I thought, well, that's great. Um, there's some good things that people do, but there is no one like our God. In his holiness. He's completely pure. There's no spot in his character. By the way, that's why Jesus had to come to die. If Roger Pugh had been nominated to save the world, I couldn't have done it. For a number of reasons. But (laughs) one of which would be, I'm a sinner. I have a blemish on my character. More than one, right? Jesus had no blemish in his character. He was the lamb. Um, And just as in the Old Testament, the lambs had to be pure and holy in their their physical bodies, uh, so our Savior was pure and holy in his sacrifice that he made for sin. So important. Because he is completely righteous and completely pure. The Bible says he justifies those who put their faith in him. He clothes them with a very righteousness that he has lived out and that he is so that we're accepted before God. Isn't that an amazing thought? Have you ever felt, you know, I can't come into the presence of God because of my sin? Well, if, you're, if you don't know Christ, that's true. And and the way to deal with that is to confess that sin to God, repent of it, and receive the gift of eternal life Jesus purchased for you at the cross. But for those who do know him, we don't come on the basis of our righteousness. It's not like we one day we arrive and we become good enough to enter God's presence. As long as you take a breath, you'll be unworthy to enter God's presence. But praise God, I don't come on the basis of my worthiness. I come on the basis of Jesus Christ perfectly pure and holy life and character. And I can come with boldness for that reason and that reason alone. So Isaiah is awed and we are awed because God is holy in power. He's exalted in glory. He is perfect in purity. Next, I love this. He is great in mercy. Verse 7. The seraph comes with the with a, uh, a coal from the altar in this vision. What is the significance of the coal from the altar? Well, in Israelite worship, when you sinned, you had to bring a sacrifice. And you would place your hands on the sacrifice, you would confess your sins, and the picture was that that sin was being transferred from you to that substitute, and then that animal would be killed for your sin. For atonement. And it was a picture of what Jesus would later come to do. But as they would burn that burnt offering on the altar, eventually all that would be left would be the coals. And they would take those coals and they would use them. Sometimes they'd take them in to sanctify the uh, altar of prayer inside the holy place. Uh, but, but the coals were representative of the sacrifice. Very important to understand what's going on here have that background but it looks forward to Jesus 
The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for my sin. Fire was a symbol of his wrath. And because that took place, God can take his coal from the altar, the death of Jesus Christ, and he can touch me with it and cleanse my sin. Look, Isaiah doesn't ask for it. He's, just, he's undone by his sin. He, he has no words. He's so overwhelmed. But the seraph takes the coal, and verse 7 says, He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed, and your sin is atoned for. It's covered. Praise God for His mercy. I want to tell you something. My sin is separated as far from me as the east is from the west. It's buried in the sea of forgetfulness because God has done so through Jesus Christ. He has touched me with the holy coal of Christ. Supernatural work on the cross. The price he paid for sin so that I could be forgiven. Great in mercy. Cleansed. Aren't you glad... Aren't you glad that God cleanses sinners? That's his mercy. Mercy is not God not get mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Hallelujah. So Isaiah is odd. He's great in mercy. Next, I want you to see he's persistent in pursuit. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who should I send and who will go for us? Now, this is amazing for a number of reasons. But but the context of this is that Israel has been brought into the promised land. They rebelled in the period of the judges. They've rebelled in the period of the kings. Um, Uzziah was was a godly king for the most part, but they rebelled during Uzziah's reign. Listen, Israel had a history of rebellion. And as the second part of this chapter tells us, they become hard-hearted toward God. God's still pursuing them. Who should I send? Who would go for us? If I was God, I would have washed my hands of them and said, I've had enough of this. That's not what God did. He continued to pursue them. Aren't you grateful for the person who told you about Jesus? Aren't you grateful that God didn't give up on you when you resisted his urging to come and give your life to Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. He is persistent in his pursuit of us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know when God started pursuing me? Probably before the foundation of the world, if you want to know the truth. But... But on the cross, Jesus was pursuing me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I hadn't even been born yet. Jesus is pursuing me. The plan of the ages, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus has always been God's plan. Before God ever said, let there be light, he saw this individual. He saw each and every one of you. And he said, I'm going to send my son to redeem them from sin. His pursuit. And it hasn't quit. He's, I love what uh, 
Jesus said, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Wonderful truth. If you are a child of God, he will never leave you. If you don't know him yet, he is pursuing you. You need to embrace that, that uh, pursuit while you still have the opportunity. Because he says, my spirit will not always strive with man. But praise God that he is persistent. He is slow to anger, abounding in love, rich in mercy. Despite the rebellion of the people that Isaiah is going to be sent to, God is still pursuing them. So Isaiah is odd because he's holy in power, he's exalted in glory, he's perfect in purity, he's great in mercy, he's persistent in his pursuit. Next, he is good in his desire. He's good in his desire. Um, Verses 9 and 10 are kind of controversial. People don't really know what to do with them. A lot of ink has been spilled over them. What's he talking about here? Go and say to this people, keep listening but do not understand. Uh, you could translate that a little differently. You could say, go and speak to this people. Though they listen, they will not understand. So you can take it a little bit. But probably both things are going on. God is letting Isaiah know that though he is being sent by God, though he's being given a divine commission, the people largely are not going to listen. Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> I'm going to call you to ministry. Nobody's going to listen to you. Uh, This is what he's telling him. But also, there's also a warning here for the people of God because he's saying, look, Israel uh, was God's nation, okay? And and he is, is trying to reach them, but they've been rebelling against God. And he's saying, look, I'm sending my word to you, but if you don't respond to it, the effect of it is going to be to harden you and to dull you to make you callous to the things of God. You see, what happens, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, Pharaoh in the Exodus hardened his heart, right? Hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. You see, he was hardening his own heart for a long time. He's hearing the, the message of God, but he's not responding to it in the right way. And eventually... God begins to harden his heart in judgment and gives him over to what he desires. Sobering thought there. But I want you to look and see what he says at the latter part of verse 10. Uh, Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. Literally, the Hebrew says, and they would turn back And it would be healing for them. This is God's desire. To bring healing. It's a good desire. He is good in his desire. Somebody's hard hearted toward you. How do you respond to them? You get angry. Get frustrated. Do you send a secret text message or something? (laughs) What do you do when you get angry at somebody because they're hard-hearted toward you? God, despite the fact that we were hard-hearted toward Him, still desired to bring us good, to heal us. I love the story of Saul of Tarsus. 
persecuting the church, blaspheming the name of God. And yet he said, I, he said, I'm the least of sinners. He said, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Despite his hard-heartedness toward the church and his hard-heartedness toward Christ, his hard-heartedness toward God's purpose, God desired to heal him and to turn him and to bring him to himself. And he desires the same for us. He's good in his desire. God's goodness is better than any human being's goodness. And the more I walk with God, the more I realize how good God has been to me. I I want to tell you something. Yeah, there have been times I've questioned God, okay? But you know what I've found? God knows better what I need than I know myself. And give it enough time, and you get to the other side of it, and boy, God, you knew what you were doing. Wow, thank you for blessing me. Thank you for not giving me what I prayed for. God is so good. So he's good in his desire. Finally, he's gracious in his salvation. I love, I love what, uh, what it says here. He's, he's talking about the judgment that God is bringing. By the way, all this was predicted in Deuteronomy. God told the Israelites, I'm giving you this law. If you follow it, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed and, and so forth. And, um, and, and they hadn't followed it. And so they were being cursed and God had told them in Deuteronomy, I'm going to send you to a faraway place, and I'm going to remove you from the land if you rebel against me. And that's what's going on here. But I love what verse 13 says. It says, though a tenth will remain in the land, a tenth of the people, that is, it will be burned again like a terebinth or the oath that leaves a stump when felled. The holy seed is the stump. Now, there's a whole lot packed into that little phrase, the holy seed is the stump. But the gist of it is that God is gracious in his salvation. If you cut down a tree, sometimes you'll have a little shoot come off that tree. That happened in my yard. (laughs) We cut down a tree that got hit by the frost and sprouted back. And it's taller than I am today. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful. A little sprout. You see, God had to cut off Israel in judgment. But God wasn't finished with them yet. Some of you, God may be disciplining you for sin. You may be cut off for something you failed to do, something you uh, are persisting in in, in sin, if you've, and you're unwilling to confess it and repent, it, repent of it. God may be disciplining you in your life, but can I tell you, God's not finished with you. If you know him, he's not finished with you. I love the fact that God can redeem our lives. Israel would have hope through something called the Holy Seed. Now, you can take this to mean the Holy Seed, meaning Israel, this tent, this remnant of Israel, and so forth. But it means more than that. I'll tell you how I know that. Because the Bible says to Eve, God said to Eve, The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. You see, Israel's problem was more than just breaking their covenant with God. They had a sin problem. In their hearts, they were bent towards sin. 
They needed someone who could reverse what happened in the garden. So in Genesis 3.15, God says, The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Then you fast forward a little bit in history to the time of Abraham. And God tells Abraham, Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Fast forward a little bit to David's time. Your son will sit on my throne forever. The seed. You see, all of Old Testament history looks forward to this individual called the Messiah who would come and reverse the brokenness of sin. That was their hope in Isaiah's day. That's our hope today. Jesus is the only hope for America. Jesus is the only hope for your life. The seed of the woman. And he he was the seed of the woman as no one else has been because he was virgin born. The seed of the woman. And he says the holy seed is the stump. And then you go on in Isaiah and you see Isaiah talking about the promised son. A virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. You see, in chapter 11, 1, where it says there'll be a a shoot come up from the root of Jesse, the Messiah. And you go to Isaiah 53 and you read, He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. And the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes... This is God's hope for humanity. The greatness of our God is that He rules over all of heaven. Despite the circumstances that we face, He is still working His purpose. Looked pretty hopeless in Isaiah's day, didn't it? Pretty hopeless. You know, things had all things were just getting worse. People were just getting more wicked. The rulers were getting more wicked. What are we going to do? God says, I'm still on my throne. I still have a plan. You see, this is what sets him apart above all others. We as human beings are limited in how we can respond to to, to circumstances, but God's not. You know how I know that? Jesus died in three days. Later, he arose. (laughs) This is the God we serve. (laughs) I'm about to get Pentecostal up here. I'm having a good time. I I want to tell you something. You ought to be awed by the greatness of God. We serve a God that is like no other. He is set apart. He is holy. And he is worthy of our praise. When you come to God in your time of personal prayer time, make sure you take time to praise Him for who He is. It'll be a blessing to you. Isaiah was changed as he encountered the presence of God. But it'll also bless the heart of God as you praise Him. And you say, Lord, I praise you because you're holy. I praise you because you have power like no one else. I praise you because you have mercy 
on sinners. Because you are gracious in your purpose. God, how great you are. This would be the heart of every child of God. I want to tell you something. If you have an attitude of thanksgiving and praise in your life, it will carry you through the difficult times of life. You see, we have a choice. When we face difficulty, we can grumble and complain, or we can lift our eyes. I'll lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. And God can change our perspective. Awed by his greatness. Are you awed by his greatness? Listen, as a child of God, I want to just encourage you today to make a choice to say, Lord, I am going to every single day praise your name for something, for who you are. I'm going to thank you for what you're doing in my life, despite what circumstances I face. That that's, needs to be our heart. The Bible says, in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you ought to be awed by the greatness of God. Because God, despite your failures, despite your sin, and all of us have it, said, Isaiah said, I've got unclean lips. As far as sins go, we may not think that that's that great a deal. But God says, I love you despite your sin. I sent Jesus to die for your sin. And he rose again. And I'm calling you to turn from your sin in your own way to follow me. I'm calling you to receive the gift of eternal life and to be forever changed. If that's your heart today, I just want to encourage you to to make that choice. Pull the trigger, (laughs) so to speak, okay? Uh, Make the choice. Say, today, Lord Jesus, I surrender to your purpose. Today, I receive your salvation, trusting that the price Jesus paid is enough. And I can guarantee you, based on the authority of God's word, he will save your soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the awesomeness of who you are and your holiness. Father, help us remember to praise your name and to thank you for all that you've done for us. Help us to be awed by who you are. And to lift up our eyes, Lord, when we're discouraged or when we're struggling, so that we can find rest in you.